This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Morning. My name is Y. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1. And you'll find in the bulletin outline that I'm sure you'll find helpful. Since it's a uh, Mission Sunday, let me begin by sharing something that I uh, read as I was going through my prayer list. Uh, some of these updates are uh, sent to me. And this time it was about the situation in India. And it spoke of a pastor, Maruk, uh, but his name is changed for security reasons. And he is a church leader in India, and he talks about how the Hindu extremists uh, will come up to him and threaten him uh, because he's Christian. And he could be walking along the streets with his children, and they will come and they will say, Haha, these are your kids. Okay, we're going to kidnap them and we're going to kill them. You know, threatening him in such a you know, blatant and direct way. Now, Pastor Maruk says, uh, despite the pressure, uh, he believes that God will strengthen the church in India to stand and to continue to shine. He says, it is not easy. There are so many people whose lives have been damaged and disrupted permanently because of what they are facing. Things like false allegations, humiliation, physical abuse, and being ostracized from their own villages and their own towns. So he says, in spite of all this, he believes that God is faithful. And because God has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So either God will protect us from the pressure and the persecution, or God will give us the strength to persevere through it, to experience and to go through what we need to go through. But at the end of the day, God will give the strength to play our part in the history of Christianity in India. And so when I read it, I was, I was moved and very rebuked because uh, what I was uh, seeing is a church that does not have a lot of resources that many members of the church, you know, they would not have, uh, you know, great and complex theology. They would have the basic gospel, they have the basic truth, and it is upon those truths that they are now standing. And God enabling them to stand through pressures and persecution that I think none of us uh, have come close to experiencing. So I, I share that because I want to do a few things I want to share about you know, what's happening in other parts of the world since it's Mission Sunday. But I also want to share a challenge that as we look at this passage of Romans chapter 1, that it might be a familiar passage. And my uh, admonition to us is don't, because of its familiarity, think that you know it. But rather, we need to be uh, encouraged like, like the church in India, not just to know it, but to, God, but, but to ask God to help us stand more firmly, stand more steadfastly on the things we have come to know. So let's ask God to help us as we open up his word. God, we, we do thank you for the encouraging things we've heard from our sister Shirley, 
and uh, hear uh, what's happening in India, and indeed all across the world, uh, you causing uh, your people to stand and to be steadfast. And so we pray for ourselves that as we hear your word, please nourish us, please strengthen us, please help us to come to you with the attitude, God, please teach me that I may know, help me to know that I may obey, and help me to obey that I might be more faithful before you. Please, only you can do this in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can see in the outline, uh, we've got three points, and we'll be working through it uh, not in a linear fashion. Okay. In fact, I'm going to go to the third point first and talk about our obligation. I was going to do that last, but I decided to do that first because in verse 14, where our reading began, Paul talks about how he is obligated both to the Greeks and to non-Greeks, to the wise and foolish, and he's talking about his obligation to preach the gospel. Now, I want to help us understand what this word obligation means. Okay, It could mean something like if you borrow $100 from someone, then you are obligated to return that $100. Now, it could mean that way. Or it could also mean something like if someone entrusts to you $100,000, and this $100,000 is meant to go to uh, some missionary fund or you know open doors or maybe the, the children hunger fund. And so this $100,000 has now been entrusted to you. And if you do not fulfill that trust to give that money to, to the charity, then in some sense you have uh, uh, reneged on your obligation. Because this money was given to you and you had this obligation to give that money in its entirety to the charity. And the longer you don't do that, the more it seems like it's stealing. Okay, So it is in that second way that Paul is understanding obligation. Because God has entrusted to him, and there I say God has entrusted to us, the treasure of the gospel. And Paul understands that he has been given a commission to preach this gospel to all the nations, to the ends of the earth, Greeks, non-Greeks. That's his commission. And so he has this obligation, you know, this, this, this responsibility that he feels to proclaim. And so he says, I want to proclaim this also to you in Rome. And he's talking about uh, the Christians in Rome. So the gospel is not just meant for uh, non-Christians. It's meant to strengthen Christians as well. So he says, verse 16, why he is eager. He's eager because he is not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed? Because the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation. So this message is powerful, is powerful to bring salvation. Now we, of course, we'll ask salvation from what? Powerful to save us from what? So this is what the next few verses, uh, indeed the rest of the chapter, will explain. So in verse 17 and verse 18, there is a word that is repeated and it is a word revealed. So in verse 17, it is in the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. And in verse 18, it is the wrath of God, the anger of God that is being revealed from heaven against the 
the unrighteousness, the godlessness and wickedness of people. So the reason why the gospel is such good news is because in our godlessness and wickedness, God's wrath is being revealed. And the only thing that can save us from God's wrath is God's righteousness. God somehow making us righteous. And we know He does it in the death of His Son and the Son rising again. That this penalty that we deserve for our godlessness and wickedness, this wrath of God that we deserve, Jesus has taken it, satisfied fully God's anger so that righteousness can now be given to those who believe. So what Paul will uh, go on to do is to explain what we have done wrong. So you look at the first point and the second point. He will explain in this passage what we do wrong and God's response to our wrong. So as we uh, look at the passage, uh, I want you to be thinking, okay, these verses, is it talking about what we do wrong? Or is it talking about God's response? Okay, so it will be between these two things as we work our way through the passage. Okay, so obviously, uh, I've said already, verse 18 is God's response. God's wrath coming. Okay, and what is it that we do wrong? The wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So God is angry because we suppress the truth. And what is this truth that we suppress? What is this truth that we try and hide and, you know, uh, don't think about and think it doesn't exist? You know, you know like, okay, what is, what is this truth that we suppress? Well, from verse 19 to 20, it is quite clear that it is talking about the truth that God exists. The truth that it is a powerful, divine being that created you and me and all of creation. Because verse 19 says, we suppress the truth because what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So we all have this truth. It's been made plain. So someone can say, I really don't know God. Okay, but the Bible is saying, no, 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 it's been made plain. God has made it plain because in the, in the seeing of creation, you see that there must be someone powerful, someone divine who has made all these things. So verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been, what's that word? Clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, of course, looking at creation, we will not know whether God is a you know, dog person or cat person. See, more coffee, tea, okay, what's his name, okay, favorite football team, okay, we won't know all these things, right? But Paul is saying, looking at creation, you know enough that there's a God who exists. And all of us have suppressed this truth. Now, what is the result of suppressing this truth? Well, verse 21, uh, Paul explains, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. So this is what we do wrong. At the heart of what we do wrong is denying God to be God. 
the essence of sin is not wrongdoing, the breaking of some rules. The essence of sin is that it is personal. It is against God. It is very different for, you know, a traffic policeman, you know, walking along the street and then he says, oh, this person has broken the law. He parked double yellow line, you know, you know, write the summons. Okay, you know, some people think of sin as, okay, you know, I, I parked at the double yellow line. It's impersonal. I just broke some rules. But sin, understood from the Bible, is actually not just parking at a double yellow line, but you go and beat up the traffic policeman. To him, in the second example, the traffic policeman is feeling the, the personal uh, nature of your rebellion against him. So sin, in its essence, is our denial of God, our rejection of God as God. We neither glorify him, not give thanks to him. Instead of worshipping him, what do we do? Verse 22, we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Instead of worshipping the God who is glorious, we worship images made in human form or reptiles or animals. We bow down to an idol instead of bowing down to the one who created us. Now that is what we have done wrong. Now, what is it that God will do? Okay, before we talk about what is it that God will do, there's a, there's a question that, uh, you know, sometimes Christians ask and sometimes, uh, you know, non-Christians uh, ask us. And that is, okay, okay, you know, you, you talk about, uh, you know, all these things, God's anger, this and that. Okay, what about someone who has never heard of Jesus? Okay, what about that innocent, you know, African tribesman? You know, there's no church within a thousand miles. You know, he's never heard the name Jesus. He's never seen the Bible. Okay, what's going to happen to him when he dies? Okay, I mean, you familiar with that question? Okay, the innocent tribesman, no church, no Christian, no Bible, no radio. Okay, nothing, right? He has no knowledge of Jesus, no knowledge of the gospel. There's a power to say what will happen to him when he dies. Okay, now, this is recorded. I'm going to give my answer. So you hear me carefully. The innocent tribesman in Africa who has never heard of Jesus is, of course, going to heaven. Of course. You know why? Because he's innocent. Now, Paul has just said that this person does not exist. Because in the creation of the world, everyone without excuse has seen that there is someone powerful and divine who has made all these things and none of us have given him the worship and the thanks he deserves. There is no innocent person. All of us, without excuse. And so God's wrath, his anger at being rejected, rebelled against, is being revealed. Now, how is God's wrath being revealed? Now, you will see in the Next few verses, this phrase that Paul uses, God gave them over. And it is a scary phrase, if you think about it, that God in saying to, you know, rebellious humanity who reject him and want to run away from him, it's like saying, okay, you know, it's like, you know, trying to hang on to the hand, but they, they keep trying to run away. And eventually God says, okay, have it your way. And it's like God giving them over. Okay, so in verse 24, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. 
And in verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lust. And what is this shameful lust? It says, the women exchange natural sexual relations. In the same way, men also abandon uh, sexual relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. It's talking about homosexuality. And so, God giving humanity who have rejected him. The example that Paul uses here is giving them over to their unnatural sexual relations. Now, I want to say that nowhere in the Bible uh, does any of the writers highlight homosexuality as a more serious sin compared to everything else. It doesn't say that this is the most serious or the most heinous sin. Okay, no. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Okay, in fact, in verse 28, it says, just as we did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, just as we rejected God, so that's what we have done wrong, what is it that God will do? God will give them over. Now, what normally happens is when we look at uh, 29 to 32, and all that list of sins, huh? so you, you see that over there, every kind of uh, wickedness, verse 29, evil, greed, you know, um, you know, children, okay, Elliot, look at that, uh, disobedient to parents, okay, like, okay, it's all here, okay, like the list of sins. Now, uh, most of the time, when we read this passage, we think that this list of sins are the things that we have done wrong. Okay, but actually in the flow of the passage, this is what God has given us over to. This is actually God's response in giving us over to a depraved mind and all this kind of wickedness and unrighteousness. So the focus of the passage of what we do wrong is that rejection of God as God. And God's response in his wrath is to give us over to our enslavement, to sin, our, our sinful desires. God giving us over to that. And in uh, 29 to 32, there's all these examples. And then earlier was the example of homosexuality. So my point again is that uh, it's not the most serious sin, but there is a reason why Paul uses the sin of homosexuality. Because it is talking here about the rejection of God as creator. And if you look at God's design for marriage, sexual union, you know, man and a woman, that's his design. And the way he has created them, you know, the particular details of the way he has created them, you know, the parts, huh? it's very obvious that one is meant to go with the other, male with female, right? It's very obvious that, that God in his creation has made it this way, just like, you know, the lightning port uh, goes in. It's a very satisfying tuck when it goes in, right? Because this is the way it's designed to. And so Paul is using the, 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 the example of homosexuality because that is a rejection of God as creator. And so male and male, female and female, you know, and they think that that's so good. It is a rejection of what God has designed. Such a clear example. But the point is, our wrong is that we have rejected him as God. And God's response here is to give sinful humanity over to their sin. 
Now, I obviously, you know, uh, work with the youth in our church, and sometimes, you know, they say, ah, yeah, you know, the sermon, uh, sometimes it's okay, but, you know, most of the time, don't see how it's relevant. Okay, come, let me tell you how it's relevant, okay? Let me tell you now, okay? Listen very carefully how it's relevant. Okay, so you have, okay, you have the idea that many non-Christians have, you know, like, okay, for example, when they have their gay pride, you know, and then, you know, they celebrate their LGBTQ, you know, whatever, okay? And then they, they think, oh, you know, your God thinks this is wrong, right? But look at us celebrating out in the open, you know. Your God, if he thinks this is wrong, he is powerless. He's powerless to do anything, but we are celebrating the free, you know. So, so they think that, oh, that in being able to enjoy these freedoms and have such a, you know, this pink dot growing, is that, oh, your God is powerless. But actually, it is God giving them over to their sins. It is an expression of God's anger, God's judgment on them. And then we you know, look at the list of sins, you know. Yes, sometimes, you know, we, we, most of it, we agree, oh, yeah, yeah, these are not good things. But some of these sins, we actually want to enjoy. Some of these sins, we see our friends enjoying. And we want to join in. And we think, ah, yeah, you know, because I'm Christian, I cannot enjoy these things. You know, my friend, so much freedom, being able to live the way he wants, enjoying and living the life this way, you know, these sins. But no, this is God giving them over in his judgment. This is an expression of God's wrath. And so if this is God in his anger and wrath giving sinful humanity over to their sin, what about those of us who have heard the gospel, believed the gospel, experienced the salvation, the power of God to save us in the gospel? What, what does that look like for us? Okay, so obviously if you are here, and you have believed in Jesus taking the penalty of your sin for you, you trust Him as your Lord and as your Savior, you are no longer under the wrath of God. What Paul has just described here was something that was in your history. Yes, you were there, but now by the grace of God, by the power of God, you have been saved from that. So if you have been saved from that, what does life look like for you now? Can I suggest, as I've learned, that it is not God giving us over to our sin, but life as one who is loved by God, we will experience God restraining us from our sin. So if you feel struggle, you feel, I just want to do this, you know, I got this, you know, you know, I really want to do this, but you feel that there's a struggle, that is God's love for you, that, 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 that fighting, that not, you know, going and living the way we want to live, that, 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 you know, oh, seeing how our friends are living is so nice, and, you know, but, you know, there's a struggle, that is God's love restraining us because He is changing us, He is transforming us. That self-denial is actually God's love for you. And so you see, I, I hope that as we have you know, gone through this passage, we can see just how good news 
the gospel is. That this is a God who has been rejected, rebelled against, you know, punched in the face, and yet his righteousness revealed in the gospel. That of the people who have rejected him, they can run to Christ and find in him salvation from this wrath that we all deserve. Can you see that the gospel is such good news? That there can be people who are saved from his present anger, his future anger. And that is why Paul says, I am obligated. And this is an obligation, like in the Great Commission, Christ has given to all who have come to know the gospel, all who have come to follow him. Go make disciples of all the nations. This gospel that you have heard, you have an obligation. $100,000 has been given to you and you need to give it to the people who need it. Right? The Children's Hunger Fund or whatever. And the, and the more you hang on to it, the more you don't give it. That's like, that's like stealing. Do you feel this obligation? Such good news should not just remain with us. May God help each one of us. May God help us as a church to be people, to be a church that have experienced this good news, that know just how good this is. And by God's grace, exercising our obligation to the people around us, the nations who need to hear. May God help us. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.